Pleased to have your, a seat as John brings our first reading. First reading comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, you'll find it on page 1128 in the um, Bibles beside you there. Paul's letter to Rome, Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading is from Colossians, chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1182. And we'll be reading Colossians, chapter 1, from verse 15. The title is The Supremacy of Christ. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just going to open with a word of prayer. Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you want to hear now, Lord. Father, we just thank you that uh, you sent your Son as a demonstration of your love. And Father, you want us just to accept him in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I kind of know what Chris Akabuse 
In fact, I've got it wrong. Do you know that? Mo Farah felt the last time he ran in the Olympics four years ago. One week he ran in the 10,000, the next week the 5,000. Uh, I preached this morning, so I'm now preaching a second time this morning. Uh, and I kind of know what people like Jit feel now when they've got to do two in a row. Anyway, I've got a very simple and yet quite a difficult message this morning. I'm going to talk about the gospel. And over the last few weeks, you've heard lots of other people talk about aspects of the gospel. And you're going to hear it again. That's a good thing because we need to hear it. More importantly, we need to get it inside of us, believe it, and live it. And three short words, or four short words for you. I want to, first of all, eh, allow you to have clarity, clarity about what the gospel is. Secondly, I want you to think about and ask yourselves the question, have you confidence in what it says it is? And thirdly, have you the courage and commitment to live it out? Clarity, confidence, courage and commitment. Clarity. Well, what is the gospel? First and foremost, it's very straightforward. God loves you. Remarkably, he loves me too. It's as simple and as profound as that. He loves you. Believe it. He doesn't love you because you're good or because you're nice or because you're sitting there in church. He would love you if you were part of IS. He would love you if you murdered a Catholic priest in France in the past week. I can say that with absolute confidence and sincerity because his word, the Bible, tells us that. Paul tells us in Romans very simply this. He said, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Not good, righteous, church-going, Bible-believing, never-breaking-any-laws people. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I suppose for me personally, that came home to roost when I became a dad. And I began to appreciate, as my children grew up, no matter what they did, I was sometimes sad and disappointed, just as they were with me. It didn't matter. I still loved them. I still loved them. That did not change. And that's a pale pale reflection of God's love for all of us and for every human being that has ever lived anywhere in this world or ever will live. 
He loves people. His heart breaks when people don't respond to that love, and there are consequences when people reject it. But nonetheless, the start and foundation of the gospel, the scandal of the gospel, is he loves us as we are. Paul goes on in another letter to Christians in a church in a city called Corinth. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news. We can be reconciled to God because of what Jesus did. And, as we can read, we can rise again with Christ. And you know, that message should be transformational. It should be transformational for us as individuals. It should be transformational if we and others live it out for our communities, and it should be transformational for our nation and for the world. They're not dry words. The man who wrote those words, Paul, and most of you, maybe not all of you know it, was a man who had presided over the judicial murder of Christians. And then he met Jesus Christ. And he totally and utterly was transformed. Didn't mean he never did bad things again. You know, one of the most encouraging things for me in the book of Acts was that he actually fell out with one of his fellow travelers. It tells us later that he was reconciled. But Paul was a guy. You know, he did not instantly become perfect. But when he met Jesus... He was transformed. And that transformation went on until the day he died. And because of that transformation, communities, nations were changed. And that is the power of the gospel. Do we have confidence that it means what it says? It says... It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, everyone who believes. And it has a huge transforming power. Jesus himself, in the Sermon on the Mount, John Gray, for those who were here last week, said, you know, we don't do anything, uh, or rather, we would all profit if we read and really internalized the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus and Matthew talked not to people who didn't believe. These were words to his disciples. He said, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God isn't a secret to be kept. 
Go public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Shine. Don't just say the words. Be salt. Be a transforming agent. That's what salt was. It gave flavor. It savored. The light bringing out the God colors, the way God wanted people and things to be. Can you imagine what that would be like for our community, our nation, the world? What would it do for government public spending? Any government. You know, what would it mean for the health service? What would it mean for the social services? What would it mean for the defense budget? What would it mean for how we treated refugees? Transformation means that. I had the great privilege of visiting South Korea last month with the work I do. And uh, it's a moot theological point that some of you may or may not agree with, but many, many Korean Christians believe this. In 1952, on the eve of the Korean War, about 3 to 4% of the population of South Korea were Christian. Christian in that they really believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. Today there are between 27 and 30% of that country's population Christian. And those Christians have had a huge, huge effect on that nation. Do you know, South Korea now is either the first, arguably, having just overtaken the United States, or some would argue still the second, it doesn't matter, biggest mission-sending country in the world. In the world. That country, I think now, uh, is certainly, I think, in the top ten of GDP. It's a pretty stable society. And many Christians, they wouldn't preach a prosperity gospel, but they would say their society has been transformed by Christians being the salt and light that Jesus Christ wanted them to be. And they want to see more people become Christian in their own country and in the world. And many of the people I met pray long and hard for the day that the border between North and South Korea will fall, and they will be able to go and take the gospel openly and freely to their brothers and sisters, some of them quite literally their brothers and sisters, in the North. But that's, they believe, the transforming power of the gospel. Not just words. Yes, first and foremost, spiritual salvation but the power to change lives, to transform communities and society. Have we the confidence? Have we the confidence that it really does mean that? That it really can do that? You know, we read a passage there from uh, Paul again, from his letter to the church in Colossae, and it's powerful. I'm going to read it from a slightly different translation now. Bear with me. And, and please just listen, because this excites me. When I get down, when I struggle, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I'm not the person that I want to be, sometimes I actually read this, and it points me to Jesus, who Jesus is and what he does. This is what it says. You've heard it in one version. This is a paraphrase. 
We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and it finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he's supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and they fit together in vibrant harmony, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves and me are a case study of what he does. You see, at one time, we all had our backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for us, Christ brought us over to God's side and put our lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded, steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message. Just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. That's the gospel. Jesus wins. Everything, everything is going to be fixed. Some of you may think that's jam tomorrow. That's hope. Christians live it out in some countries every day with nothing else except that hope. And you know what? They mightn't live to see it quite, but they are the salt. They are the transforming agents in their societies that we are called to be. I've had the great privilege of knowing and seeing some of them. And it's true. It really does make a difference if we really have confidence in it and believe it. That's what the gospel is. It is spiritual. We have personal salvation, hallelujah, if we turn to Christ. But you know what? It should make a difference here, now, today, for all of us. Paul tells us that a little bit again later on in his letter to the Romans. And you've probably heard this quite a few times. I'm just going to read a few highlights. Again, it's not from the NIV translation. It's a paraphrase. Some of you may argue with some of it. Fair enough. But I think it means the same. 
Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Don't conform, transform. Don't conform, transform. That's the courage to live it out. That's the courage to live it out. He knows we're not going to do it on our own. That's why he left us the counsellor, the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. But, but he expects us, if we are true followers and disciples, to try and do it and to live it. He goes on in that letter, he says this, uh, and there's about ten points here, I'm not going to go through them other than just very briefly reading them out. Uh, but this is what he says, love from the centre of who you are, don't fake it, run from evil, hold on for dear life to good, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Wow. Practice playing second fiddle. I struggle with that. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expecting. Don't quit in hard times. Pray harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing onto your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. That's it. That's living the gospel out. Francis of Assisi, many of you will have heard of, once said, preach the gospel. Use words if you have to. Okay. That passage really says it. Yeah. It is important to tell people about Jesus. Absolutely vital. Absolutely essential. But then you know what? How people will know if it's real is if they see us living it out. Courage and commitment to tell and to live. And you know what? We're going to fail sometimes. And that's part of the gospel's good news as well. Eh? It's this. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm a great believer in that if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to keep you. He's not going to let you go. We can have that confidence. We mightn't always feel it, but believe it. It's true because the person 
who that passage in Colossians is about is that person, the image of the invisible God, before everything, supreme for eternity and countless eons, the person who's going to bring everything in the universe, everything, together. He's capable of keeping you and me safe in his hands. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, are we all going to have the confidence to go out there and live it? Thank you.